thank you for your presence. We exalt you and we lift you up, Lord God. Even in times when we feel like, we, we don't feel like praising, I thank you, Lord, as we give a sacrifice of praise, Lord, your presence comes. You fill us with life, joy and strength. I thank you, Lord, that even now for the people watching this today, that, Lord, you're filling them with strength and life and joy and hope you're fueling them up, Lord, for what awaits them during the course of the week. I thank you and I praise you for that, Lord. You're an awesome and a mighty God. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. As we were worshipping for, I just really felt that uh, God was saying that He's going to be an ever-present help in a time of trouble for you this week. Uh, that there might be situations arise that you weren't planning on and uh, didn't know how to deal with. And God's going to give you help every strength, every step of the way. That you're going to hear God more clearly over the course of this season than you have in a long time. And God's going to give you ears to hear what He's going to say. That you're going to turn around at the end of this season, you're going to see that I heard God's voice clearer than ever before. That I've actually got to hear His voice like never before in this time. I thank you for that, Father, and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. Well, thank you so much, as I said, uh, for joining us today. And um, we started a series last week from the letter of Philippians. uh, And we called it Triumph Through Tough Times. And the reason why I did that is because the Apostle Paul wrote this positive, faith-filled, life-giving letter. It's known as the letter of joy. Yet he wrote it when he was in the midst of prison. So he's in prison. He's confined. He's isolated. He's actually suffering unjustly because it's unjustifiable for why he's actually in prison. He was actually serving God and ended up in prison. And yet he writes the most positive, faith-filled, uplifting letter in the entire New Testament. What that tells me is that your faith and your hope and your attitude does not need to be determined by your circumstances. That literally our circumstances don't have to stop us being filled with life, hope, joy and strength. So that's why I called this triumph through tough times. Because he can be triumphant, we can be triumphant in the midst of a difficult circumstance. And so last week we shared about that and and today I want to talk to you a little bit more out of Philippians chapter 1. And so Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 to 11, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And so here in this passage of Scripture, and I love this, the Apostle Paul is actually thinking about the people that he's writing to. He's not actually writing this letter at the start and trying to get himself out of prison. I'm so amazed by that. I mean, if it was me and I got a letter out, it would probably start something like this. If you happen to find this letter, you've got to do something to get me out of prison. I don't belong here. It's not fair what's happened to me. But he doesn't even say that. So he does this introduction and then he actually says, this is what I'm praying for you. I love that. You know, even as Christians, we can be going through a difficult time, but we can be others minded. I think right now is the greatest opportunity for us as Christians and for us as the church to show people that we don't allow our circumstances to crush us. That in the midst of that, we can actually be a light, a source of life and strength to others around us. And so here he writes and he says, I'm praying this prayer for you. And he talks about a number of things that he says that they can actually have. And so I want to talk to you about five things you can have, even in the midst of this situation that you find yourself in. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9, he says this. He says, And this I pray, 
that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. He says your love may abound. The first thing that you can have in the midst of your uh, situation right now is that you can have abounding love. Now, the love the Apostle Paul talking, is talking about here is not affection, but rather a love that actively seeks to benefit, love, uh, benefit others. He's actually talking about what we know as agape love. Agape love is that self-sacrificing love. Agape love is an others-minded love. It has no self-interest in it whatsoever. It's the God kind of love. There's different kinds of love that we can actually have. Uh, and, and most of it is kind of conditional. If you treat me the right way, then I'll treat you the right way. But that's not actually what he's saying here. He's saying, I pray that you are abounding in love. That even in spite of how we're treated, that's how he actually wants us to be. You know, it reminds me of marriage. Marriage, the best thing that actually combines marriage together is actually having that abounding, unconditional love. You know, it was funny, I just saw this week on Facebook, um, uh, someone had put out uh, like this video clip of this couple that had been married 60 years and they're explaining to them what it means to be self-isolating and basically you've got to be together. And so, and so they said to the couple, they said, look, um, they said option A is that you two as a married couple, you've been married 60 years, you stay together uh, and you have no outside, uh, you know, you have no outside interference or anything like that. You just stay together for the duration or option B. And the woman goes, option B. I'll take option B. It was hilarious. So she was saying, I don't want to stay with this guy anymore. But abounding love is basically that unconditional love. And right now, it's so hard to love when you're going through a difficult time. But that's the awesome thing about being a Christian, that God can give us love in spite of our circumstances. Remember the Apostle Paul here, he's actually imprisoned and yet he writes this most loving, faith-filled, uplifting letter because he knows firsthand that you can have that abounding love. And so that's actually the thing I think that actually keeps marriages together even more strongly. Uh, I love the fact that my wife Trisha uh, is unconditionally loving to me. Uh, I remember a number of years ago when we first got married, uh, she went out and she, oh, I went out, sorry, and I bought us a couple of Magnum ice creams. And so Trish loves Magnum ice cream. She loves the almond Magnums the best. And so we wrote, and so I went and bought these, you know, two almond uh, Magnum ice creams for dessert and I brought them home. And, uh, and at dessert time, I put them in the freezer and, and after dinner I said, hey, babe, I got an ice cream for you. And so she said to me, she goes, oh, I'm not hungry. I don't feel like having it today. So I had mine. Now, as soon as she said that, I realised that she was now participating in this rule that, well, it was my rule, uh, that we had in our house, and that was that if there's anything, uh, any food item in the freezer, especially ice cream, uh, that had been there for over 24 hours, it now became the property of the entire house. And so I did buy it for her, but I knew at 24-hour mark, uh, I was going to be eligible to claim it. Uh, and so we put it in the freezer, and then the next day, dinner time, I noticed it wasn't there. After It was there. After dinner, she didn't have it. So the following night, I thought, well, you know what? 24-hour rule. Uh, and so I grabbed the Magnum ice cream, and I ate it. A few days later, uh, Trish went to the freezer, and uh, she yelled out, where's my Magnum ice cream? And, uh, and uh, that was nearly 20 years ago now. Uh, and I just want to thank God uh, that I am married to a woman who is abounding uh, in love uh, towards me. Uh, as Christians, we can have abounding 
love, that you can be filled with love in spite of what's going on uh, in your circumstances uh, right now. The funny thing about this passage of Scripture is that one of the major reasons why the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to Philippians, there was a number of different purposes. So it was a letter, so he had reasons for writing it. One of the reasons that he actually wrote this letter was because he was actually dealing with division in the life of the church. So in the church, there was actually division. There was division over doctrine. There was division. There was personal infighting to the point that actually in Philippians chapter 4, he calls out a couple of ladies whose names are Euodia and Syncata, and he tells them to actually stop fighting. He actually does that publicly because he's trying to deal with the issue of division actually in the life of that particular church. And what he's doing here is he's giving them the kind of antidote that he thinks is going to deal with that. And that is abounding love. I love the church because church is kind of like a family. And family, you know, you've heard of the old saying, you can choose your friends, but you don't choose your family. And in the same way, when you come together as a church, you might have people that you don't necessarily get along with in, the, uh, in natural circumstances, but God kind of puts you together. Um, it was so funny that I, uh, the, I love how Jesus, when he put together his 12 disciples, he put Matthew, who was a tax collector, in the same group of 12 as Simon, who was a zealot. Now, you need to understand something. Simon the zealot, they were nationalists, and they were people who thought it was, who were uprising against the Romans, and so their number one enemies were the tax collectors. And yet, uh, and yet Jesus put those two together. You know, it was amazing. I could imagine he's thinking, he's talking to his heavenly father about who should be his disciples. I can imagine him saying, listen, are you sure, Lord? Do I really need to put, I'm going to have to manage this. You know, I've got to put Simon and Matthew together. They don't really work together. But one of the things I've learned is this, that God can put people together who don't necessarily, would not normally get along with each other outside in the world, but he can bring together and he can smooth things over with abounding love. It's one of the things I love about our church, King's Church, and that is that we're a multi-generational church. We're a multi ethnic church. We have people from all kind of walks of life, people who have different hobbies, different backgrounds and that sort of thing. But we come together as one family because under him, we are one. And we can be in the midst of all that abounding in love. The second thing that he says that they can have, he says in verse 9 once again, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. In knowledge and all discernment. So when he says knowledge, he's not talking about education. When he says knowledge there, he's actually talking about knowledge of God's will. So he's saying to them, remember, he's dealing with the issue of division. And he's saying to them, I want you to get the knowledge of God's will. Because if you've got the knowledge of God's will, you're not going to be carrying on like the way that you're carrying on right now. And so I love this because he is telling us that we can actually know God's will. You know, you've probably heard people say things like, oh, well, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And I totally get that. But through Christ, we have a relationship with God and he speaks to us and we can actually know God's will. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah prophesies and he's speaking on behalf of the Lord. And he says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, which is true when he's talking to Old Testament people. 
But now, as Christians, we can actually know God's will. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of James, we can ask God for wisdom and He'll give it to us freely. And so right now, some of you, I know for a fact, you're in a situation right now and you don't know what you're going to do. Lord, what am I going to do right now? My circumstances have changed suddenly. What am I going to do? I'm here to let you know that through Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with God and you can actually know the will of God. All you've got to do is ask and seek and knock, spend time with Him and He will unfold His will to you. For some of you this next season, probably going to be the most prayer that you've done in a long time. You're going to have the opportunity to sit at His feet and He can unfold His will towards you. If you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like you're in trouble, you can seek God and He can unfold His will towards you. God wants us to know His will. That's why the Bible says in Psalms, it says, teach me your ways, O Lord. David would not ask God to teach him his ways if he wouldn't actually find out. It would be a useless prayer. But David was somebody who understood the heart of God. He had a personal relationship with the Lord. He understood that God was a loving father. And he said to him, Lord, teach me your ways. If you look through all the scripture, if you read through Proverbs, there's a number of times where it says, my son, pay attention to my teaching. Hearken your ear towards me. And Jeremiah, he says, I will tell you great and mighty things that you know not of. It is possible for you to know God's will. If you're right now in a state of confusion, if you're right now in a situation where you don't know what to do and you're worried and you can't see a way out, I'm here to let you know you serve a God who's a loving Father who can teach you His will and His ways and He can give you the knowledge of His will. The Apostle Paul would not say, I'm praying that you might abound in love and grow in knowledge if it was not possible. But he understood that you can actually know God's will. And I don't know who I'm talking to today. There are some, uh, I'm spending a lot longer on this point than I was going to, but I want to encourage someone today. You can know God's will. He's going to unfold His will to you and His plans are even better than what you can imagine. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, he says, Behold the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The plans God has for you are to give you a hope and a future. And the most powerful thing for me out of Jeremiah 29, 11 is this. He's writing it to people in captivity. I don't know if any of you feel like you're in that right now, but he's writing to people in captivity and God says, behold the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I'm here to let you know, even if you feel like you're in captivity, even if you're isolated, if you, even if you're quarantined, God Himself can reveal His will to you and He has plans for your life. The Apostle Paul says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge. The third thing, says in Philippians 1.9, third thing that you can have, he says, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, discernment. The discernment it's talking about there is actually moral insight. So discerning from right and wrong, which is amazing. In our society, what is right and wrong has become really subjective. What is right and wrong has become, you know, what you think is right is right for you and what you think is wrong is wrong for you. But he here is not saying that. He is saying that there are some things which are actually absolutes and he can teach you what is right and wrong. The reason why he's praying this, remember, he's writing to people who are actually in captivity. 
Oh, sorry, he's writing to people, sorry, who, um, who are having division in their church right now. And he can't be there. He's a pastor who can't be with his church and unable to personally address them. But he's basically praying and saying, I pray that you will get discernment because if you know what is right and wrong, you'll actually stop some of the behaviour that you're participating in right now. As Christians, God, there, there is things such as right and wrong. How do I know that? Because God actually gives us a conscience. Deep down on the inside, we know what's right and wrong. I felt God speak to me that for some people over the next month, God is going to set you free of things that you, had, had, you were in bondage to before because he's going to give you an awareness of how they are wrong and he's going to give you the gift of repentance uh, in your heart. That sometimes as we're busy and we're continuing on, we never have a time to reflect. We never have a time to sit back and contemplate our lives. But over this next season, I feel like for some people, God is going to shed off you some of the things that were holding you back before, some of the sinful behaviours so that you will be free to go to the next level. Scripture tells us in Psalms, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so often before God takes you to another level, he cleans your hands and he purifies your heart. And I feel for some people, you are going to look back at this season, however long it is, and you're going to say, God redirected me. God set me free from some things. And I'm now positioned to step into the things that God actually has uh, for my life. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. It says, forgetting that was behind and reaching forward uh, to that which is ahead. He talks about, and therefore we lay aside every weight and the sin that ensnares us and race with pers- run with perseverance the race set before us. So he's saying there that sin is like a snare and can stop us from fulfilling the destiny God has for us. That's why repentance and holiness is actually a gift from God because he actually wants to set us free to fulfill the destiny that he has for us. And he is saying here, I'm praying that God will give you discernment. What is discernment? Discernment is actually the difference between right and wrong. The fourth thing uh, that he says is this. It says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, he says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ. And so he says that you may be sincere. The fourth thing that you can have is sincerity. Now, the sincerity he's talking about there is he's talking about pure motives, pure motives. Now, remember, what's he addressing in this church? One of the things he's addressing in this church is division. And so he's addressing people who are probably trying to get people to their side, doing things with the wrong motive. It might look like they're doing the right thing on the outside, but on the inside, they're actually doing the wrong thing. And he is saying that you may be sincere. He is praying that they would actually have a purified heart, that their motives would be purified. Now, the funny thing about motives, it's so hard to tell where someone's motive's at. And so you'll find later in this series, we'll talk about that, how it's actually not right for us to judge other people's motives. But he actually, God actually wants us to judge our own motives uh, as well. The Bible tells, in, tells us in Proverbs 16 too, all the ways, all the man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And so our motives are weighed by God. He is actually judging and sifting them. So even from the outside, where others cannot tell or judge really where other people's motives are at, 
God actually judges our motives. And so one of the keys actually is that as to help propel your life forward is God actually does a work in our heart. You remember what I said in, about Psalms uh, before? Who may ascend the Lord, hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands. It's talking about moral purity. And he who has a pure heart. That's talking about our motives. And so he is saying, he, he's preparing these people, the Philippians, to that they're getting ready to advance in life. And one of the reasons that they, one of the ways they can do that is to actually purify their motives as well. That's why I believe really strongly at this time that for some people, this is a time as we sit and as we reflect over the next couple of weeks or whatever it is, God is going to show us things on the inside, things that he wants to remove, things that other people wouldn't be aware of, things that others would not even know. He's going to start purifying our motives, but I'm here to let you know he's not doing that because he hates you or because he's disappointed in you or he wants to fault find with you. He's doing that because he wants to propel you and propel your life to another level. And so he is saying here, my prayer is this, that you will have all sincerity. Uh, that's why I'm a big one for not judging other people's motives. I don't want us to be that whenever, uh, even when it gives, t- talks about giving people prophecies and that sort of thing, I'm just super careful about judging people's hearts because I don't believe it's my job or any of our jobs to judge other people's hearts. I believe that's God's job and it's his Holy Spirit and it's via his word that he will judge people's hearts. That's why at King's Church, we don't have a judgmental attitude towards people. It doesn't matter who you are. You can come and visit one of our campuses and come and be, become a part of our family. And we're not going to be judgmental. We will accept you. And you will find that as you spend time with us, time with God, time with his presence, he's going to purify your heart and your motives. And he's going to transform your life so that you're ready to become more and more the person you never thought you could be. And the last thing he says is this. He says in verse 11, actually, I'll read it all from the top again. He says from verse 9, he says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more, more in, uh, in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That you're filled with the fruits of righteousness. What's a fruit? A fruit is evidence. A fruit is not a seed. You can't see seeds, but you can actually see fruit. And he is saying that you will be filled with the fruits of righteousness. What's righteousness? It's talking about our standing with God. And so what that means is fruits of righteousness means this, that in Christ we're made right with God, but then God wants to see fruit of it. And the fruits of righteousness is a transformed life. And he is saying to these people, now, you've, you know, you guys have been acting like the world. You've been divisive. You've been infighting. He says, I want to see some fruit of righteousness. I want to see an evidence of a transformed life. And I'm believing that for your lives. So the fifth thing that you and I can have is actually the fruits of righteousness, which is the evidence of a transformed life. Some people I know, they don't become Christians, don't go to church or give their lives to Christ because they feel like, oh, I'm not good enough. Or they feel like I don't live up to that standard, whatever that standard is. But I'm here to let you know that you can come to him as you are and then he can transform you. We call that sanctification. 
So that means he changes you from glory to glory. That as you walk with him and spend time with him and you just walk the journey with him over the years, he will transform your life to the point that people from your past would not even be able to recognize it. Church, you would know I've told you before that um, especially for my classmates from high school, they could not believe the transformation that God had done in my life after having become a Christian. I remember one time I was down in Melbourne and, and I was conducting a wedding for a friend of mine. And I saw people that, uh, classmates of mine, I saw a couple of them go outside talking on their phones. And I found out later that they were talking to their friends and they were saying, I'm at a wedding and Ben Naitoko is the minister. They could not believe it. I remember another time they did the 20th anniversary of our school, uh, the 20th anniversary of our year 12 class. Uh, and they got together. I couldn't go there because I wasn't living in Melbourne at the time and couldn't make it. But they actually voted there on who ended up in the least likely occupation. Now, I have a mate who's an accountant, but also he's an actual, um, he's, a, he's a, an actually a poet as well. And so he's written books. Um, he wasn't number one. He was number two. Do you want to know who number one was? It was me. They could not believe that I was a minister and a pastor. Why? Because I ended up being so different to the way I was in high school. And I would love to be able to take credit for that. I'd love to be able to say, well, you know, I just set a goal and I just decided I'm going to live this way. No, no, no. That's not what actually happened. Christ transformed my life and turn me into something else. And there are some people sitting there saying, oh, I could never do this, could never do that because of things I've done. I'm here to let you know, if you just put your hand in his hand, he will transform you. He will turn you into a trophy of grace. There's some people right now who are watching this and you're completely broke and you're completely addicted and you feel like your life is over. I'm here to let you know, just put your hand in the hand of the Lord and he will transform your life. He'll make you righteous immediately. So when you become a Christian, we're clothed with righteousness. You become righteous straight away. But then after that, the fruits start coming out. You start manifesting the fruit. So when you become a Christian, immediately you give your life to Christ. He clothes you in righteousness. You're made right with God. And in the first hour, your life may not be transformed. But as you continue to walk with Him, the fruits of righteousness will come up. And you keep walking with Him and you will actually have a transformed life. And the Apostle Paul says, you can actually have that. He's not saying to them, listen, I know you can't change your ways. This is the way you were raised. This is how things are for you. He doesn't say that. He actually says, you can have a transformed life. I'm praying that God will produce the fruits of righteousness in your life. And I'm here to let you know, whoever's watching right now, that God can do a transforming work in your life. He can change you. You can become a person that you never thought you could be and you could become manifest righteousness. There's some people watching this and your whole family line has the, sum, has the same issues and the same sinful tendencies. I'm here to let you know that through Christ, you can be set free from those things and you can become a new creation. That's why the Scripture tells us that we're born again. When you give your life to Christ, you're born again. It's a fresh start. It's a new start for you. you can be, it doesn't mean that you have to regress or pretend you're a baby or anything like that. Born again means it's a fresh start. You're born again in Him. You're going to get a new life. All you've got to do is continue walking with Him and you can have a transformed life. You can have the fruits 
of righteousness. You know, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul here, he says there's all these things that we can have. He says that we can have abounding love. We can have knowledge of God's will. We can have discernment, moral insight, sincerity, pure motives. And we can have the fruits of righteousness, a transformed life. But if you read the start of it in verse 9, he says in Philippians 1 verse 9, he says, and this I pray. He says, this I pray that your love may abound. He doesn't say this I command. Why? Because He knows in our own strength, we can't do it. He knows we need God to help us. And if you're watching this, I don't want you to feel condemned at home saying, well, I can't live up to that. No, no, no. We're not commanding, but we can pray wherever you are that you can be a transformed person in spite of what you're going through, that you can abound with love, that you can have a stronger conscience and know the difference between right and wrong that your motives can be purified, that you can be a changed person. We can actually pray for that. And so if you're in this situation right now and you're watching this, I felt there were some people and you're saying, Lord, I want you to change my circumstances. And we serve a God of the breakthrough who can do that. But why don't you pray this prayer, Lord, while you're changing my circumstances, change me, change me. Help me to be the kind of person that the Apostle Paul is talking about. So if that's you, I want to stand in agreement with you right now. You're saying, Ben, I want to be that person who's abounding in love. I want to have a pure heart. I want to have a transformed life. I want to know the difference between right and wrong. I want pure motives. I want to know God's will in this season. If that is you just right where you are, and I'm believing there's many hundreds of you right now, put your hands out in front of you. And let's, I'm going to pray for you like the Apostle Paul prayed for the Philippians. Father, I pray for everybody who's watching and I ask and pray, Lord, like the Apostle Paul did. May they abound in love. May they grow in the knowledge of your will. May they grow in sincerity, Lord God. I pray, Lord, may they have the fruits of righteousness, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you might purify our motives, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that you would transform us from glory to glory. Lord, uh, for those that are under pressure, I thank You, Lord, that You're using the pressure to transform them, to make them even stronger, to make them even more victorious. And I know, Lord, You're changing our circumstances. We're praying every day that the circumstances would change. But in the midst of our changing circumstances, I pray, Lord, that You would change us. I thank You and I praise You for that, Lord, in Jesus' Name. Amen. Also, maybe you're watching this and you haven't given your life to Christ. Maybe you thought, I'm not good enough. Can I tell you, no one is. That's why we need to be saved. That's why we need to give our lives to Christ. But He can transform you and He can change you. And I just feel right now there are some people that you're saying, I want to give my life to Christ. If that is you right where you are, I want you to put your hands out as well. And also too, if you're watching the live stream, there's a, there's a little button there with a raised hand. If you press that, then we can have one of our pastors come and talk to you as well. But right now, wherever you are, if that's you, you're saying, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be a Christian. Right where you are, just put your hands out and I'm going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those people that committed their lives to you. Pray this after me, those out there. Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for being a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord, be my Saviour, be my best friend. Help me to live for you 
or the days of my life. And I thank you that today I'm joining your family. Awesome. Praise God. Why don't we worship God one more time? Wherever you are at home, while you stand to your feet, let's worship Him together one more time, King's Church. God bless you.